Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Gentle Parents Unite weekly podcast with Sujai Johnson, Margie Zintz, and Vivek Patel. We are glad to have you here. We share concepts and strategies that help parents have more harmonious relationships with their kids and different ideas that can help you get through the struggles of parenting. We know parenting can be hard sometimes, and we want to offer whatever support we can. You can find us on Facebook by typing in Gentle Parents Unite, and also on our Patreon, also by typing in Gentle Parents Unite. So grab a notebook and a pen so you can jot down your ideas and questions. And we look forward to spending the next little bit of time with you, sharing ideas around parenting. This is our final episode of Season 3, Season 3, Episode 12 topic today is consent. We talk about how to work with consent with kids, how to help them learn about consent, and also how to honor their consent. The interesting thing that I learned about um, smaller kids and consent is that they learn very much about their own consent and what feels good to them and um, boundaries around when you can touch them or other people can touch them. However, um, it takes longer for children to be able to um, grasp projecting that concept onto other people and being particularly respectful of other people's autonomy. Um, It's part of the learning process, though um, smaller children will generally grasp their own autonomy and saying, no, I don't want a hug. No, I don't want a diaper change. No, I don't want, you know, this medical procedure, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And in learning that and understanding the concept, they will get to the place where they can project that concept onto other people and recognize that other people have autonomy and bubbles and personal space as well. Um, I did have a lot of luck myself, um, luck, so to speak, because um, whenever we're trying to teach our children something and we're looking for parenting techniques, and I say techniques in quotations, it means that we're trying to manipulate our children into learning something. We're really trying to drill it into them, which isn't the most ideal platform to learn from is this place of being techniqued <laughs> into learning what we're trying to teach. So um, if we can apply to what really makes sense to them instead and find ways to reach their level of understanding then they're more likely to be receptive. One thing in teaching personal space with my daughter that I found really helpful was teaching about a personal bubble and how everybody has, you know, probably about at least a foot and a half of space around them. (laughs) That's a personal bubble. And when we come into somebody's personal bubble, even if we're not touching them, um, 
they feel that energy inside their bubble. And sometimes when you're inside somebody's bubble, it makes them uncomfortable. And we had a lot of fun learning about the bubble and she could understand as well, because when people would come into her bubble, obviously it would feel uncomfortable whenever somebody gets to within a foot and a half of you without consent it can generally feel uncomfortable unless you truly welcome that person within your personal bubble, as we like to call it. And we'd imagine this big giant bubble and it was actually quite a bit of fun for us. And so this idea of a personal bubble, it really appealed to my daughter's senses and she could really lean into the play around it and the idea and she could see this invisible bubble and it was kind of fun and you know sometimes she'd even joke about it she'd come up and she'd be attention seeking and she'd be like i'm gonna pop your bubble <laughs> and of course i always <laughs> welcome her right into my bubble anytime she wants to pop it so <laughs> right but i think you raised like a really a really important point with that and that is and this this is maybe a challenge for a lot of folks, and this is where filling, having a full oxygen tank comes into play, is that um, my experience shows me that children, that when it comes to boundaries, a lot of times kids need to feel like the boundary doesn't exclude them, that they're within the boundary, like like that most important parent in the world, that most important person in the world, that they are, that they they have the the secret key to gaining access to that bubble. And uh, I know that that can be challenging and hard to hear uh, for folks who who really prize their their personal space. Um, and it's a journey that we go on with them. So from the get-go, when they're really, really young, they do not differentiate their body from our body. Our body is their body. And also, they don't, um, they don't have any real consciousness of what we feel. They only know what they feel because they're really little and that's not part of their their processing yet so being mindful of that um, we can still establish our boundaries and and talk about what's right for us all the while being aware of what's possible for them what's what they're capable of and if I know that my kid is thinking about my body as, as their body, then I'm going to at least be able to talk to them in a, um, a more validating way, a more accepting way, a, a, a kinder way, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me, Margie. You know, I think... Um, you know, because there's so much, uh, and rightfully so, so much public awareness about consent these days, um, much more than there was, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago. 
I think um, it's become for, for many people who are uh, working at living a, a conscious and compassionate lives, it's become a very important um, topic for us, very important issue for us. And so when, uh, but it, and, and it's also very charged. Uh, and that's the thing, you know. May I interrupt? Uh, May I interrupt sure. that thought right there? And um, just want to add to that thought and um, say that consent is one of the most um, important topics in bringing about a change in rape culture. Consent is a way to protect our children from um, really tragic, horrendous, and traumatic things that can happen. When we teach a young woman about consent, about my body, my rules, a young woman learns that she should never say yes to please somebody else. She learns that it's her body and that she should never share it with anybody for any reason less than an enthusiastic yes. And when a young man learns that my body, my rules um, extends to the grace to him, that he also will not be um, held and attacked. And, you know, um, it's a really kind of a trigger topic. And it's one of those heavy topics in particularly not only in um, parenting, but also in feminism is that at the core of consent is changing rape culture. And so um, to be blunt, I have to talk about the realities of rape, rape culture. And when we push past a young man's consent, we're teaching him that it's okay to push past somebody else's consent. And I would also say that, um, you know, that was a very gendered way of speaking and that all children, regardless of gender, are um, at risk of having something happen to them throughout their lives. Um, women, particularly in the highest reporting group, um, definitely um, it's one in five women, I believe, or even higher have reported some kind of sexual abuse throughout their lives. And so taking the topic of consent really seriously um, as adults, teaching children basic human rights is so important. So I did want to interject there um, just from the point of view of a feminist and from the point of view of um, the reason that teaching consent is so important for children of any gender. And um, I, I would also add that I think that um, transgender ch children and um, boys are also target groups and um, particularly with um, males or men, um, it's a very underreported thing and it's vital to protecting our children that we really dig into the topic of consent and how um, important it is that each person's body be respected as an individuality.
expressed it, you know, so beautifully and so powerfully. And I really appreciate uh, your passion for this this topic. I uh, and I share it. I uh, and I and I think yes, you know, like it's a central question in almost every community and in almost every system that we interface with, unfortunately. And uh, and certainly, like you said, to change the to change the widespread rape culture that we exist in, and to change and to uh, as part of. Um, you know the feminism philosophy and i myself am a feminist ally and have been for many years and so i agree with you it's one of the one of the pivotal and central things that we can uh we can help our kids learn and have a real deep respect for and uh and i think we know what you said and what margie said both um really uh, aligned with with what i was going to share and that because of how important it is, it's human nature when we get, when we feel something is really important and really uh, intense, we can get a sense of urgency about it and urgency of that, that um, can make us act out of fear. And if we're trying to teach our kids a respect for consent and we're coming in with fear, it's going to be really hard for them to learn the deep lessons that we want to teach them around this, you know. And, uh, and that's why I, I, uh, I think, you know, like, the, the, the more important the lesson is that we want to teach our kids, um, the more important it is to slow down and really think, what's the most effective way to teach this lesson so that it'll be sustainable throughout their lives, so that it's not like something they have to fight, you know, but it's like the natural way they see the world. And so much of that comes from, uh, from how we treat them, how we interact with them, and how we interact with their consent. Um, you know, just yes, yesterday I was talking to um, one of the parents that I support, and they were saying that they had kind of accidentally given their kid, a, their eight-year-old kid, a phone, <laughs> and and uh, and, um, and they and and so the kid had the phone and was really enjoying the phone, and the and because uh, what happened was they got this extra phone that they couldn't use from a friend, and the kid, before she could the, the their kid asked and said, can I have the phone? And before she could think, she said, okay. And then she was like, oh, what did I just do? <laughs> so she said to me, Vivek, what would you do? Uh, now I don't really want my eight-year-old to have a phone. Well, I think I don't want them to have a phone, but I'm not sure. What, what, do you, what would you do? I said, would you have, would you have, and her question was, would you have let your child have a phone when they were eight? And I said, you know, I can't really answer that question because the, the concept of let didn't really exist in our relationship because let implies that mm. I have a certain power that I use and I meter out how much freedom and autonomy you have um, based on whatever mm. my will is, you know, and to me, to me, that's, yeah. a, that's like, you know, using my power to deny someone's autonomy is the center of consent. And if I had a let relationship with her, then from the very beginning, Mm -hmm. uh, the first person that number one that she trusts has an opportunity to trust and wants to trust and also the first person that she interacts with that has systemic power over her because uh, systemic power is power that we don't choose and power we can't refuse my saying by the way and uh, <laughs> thank you nice, nice. and so it's not like I couldn't refuse the <laughs> systemic power and she's aware of it and I was aware of it because I'm so big so if I use the if I if the first person she interacts with and with all of these layers um, routinely denies her her consent in that way, then that's what she learns human relationships are. That what she learns her own uh, 
her, her own worth is, and maybe everyone else's too. And so, uh, and so I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't even think of the word, would I let her have the phone? If we couldn't afford it, if she really wanted it, then maybe we would talk about it, the plan. When she wanted a phone, we had a discussion about why she wanted, like an actual, in our actual experience was, we had a discussion about why she wanted it. She wrote a little piece explaining what the benefits of having a phone were, and then we discussed it together, and it was really beautiful. Oh. And, uh, and, um, and when she was ready to have a phone. Um, but it wasn't a let thing. It was an, it was a, you know, people exploring together. It, it, if I could say it sounds collaborative. Yeah. 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 And collaborative, collaborative or collaborative relationship has everything to do right. with consent. It's, it's, it's the very core of it mm. is consent. Why do you say that Margie? Well, because in a, in a collabor in a true collaboration, um, it requires both, both or all parties to look inside and understand what is valuable to them, what's important to them, what meets their needs, and to be able to uh, share that so that the other party or parties understand that and accept it. Um, and so if something is is going against that, then then that brings up issues right. of consent. And so it's the very, very core, I think, of collaboration has to yeah, do and with I think, consent and power. Absolutely. And yeah. I think the other, the exact opposite side of that is um, to be enthusiastically interested in the other person's needs and what makes helps their needs and what's yeah. alive for them, right? Uh, absolutely. And who starts the ball rolling with that? But us right. the parents right you know we 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 get to create mm. the culture in our homes and and consent culture means you know listening and accepting feelings um being curious about uh what what are what is important to you like truly when we create that culture we make it possible for that culture to exist beautiful and I wanted to add something um, to what you were saying about how kids don't think of themselves as having another body uh, or, or our bodies being separate, you know. I, uh, yeah, because I, I, I totally experienced that with my, with my kids, you know. And I had the good fortune to be aware of that mm -hmm. from the beginning. And, um, yeah. and there is like a, there's an interdependence that happens there, you know. There's a, a, deep, uh, mm. a deep connection that happens there. Where we're not, we're not. We we mm -hmm. recognize there's like a recognition that we live in a in a fluid system, not individuals like billiard balls bouncing up against each other and affecting each other, but more like a system, like a fluid system where every part affects every other part, and we're all interconnected. And mm -hmm. um, and and part of that is for for young people. Um, so what you expressed was, which I really appreciated, and I hadn't heard before. Um, which it really got me. What you expressed was, if you think about your kids as not, uh, that, that their mindset is that your body is their body, then it can give you much more patience and compassion mm -hmm. for whatever their behavior is because they're touching their own body. And, uh, and then you can help them slowly learn whatever it is you want them to learn, but you can have the patience and compassion for it. 
for them. And I really appreciated that. I hadn't heard of it that way. But with my kid, in thinking about wanting to teach them with cons about consent, before we push, if we can manage it, before we push, if we can connect first, it shifts the whole, I'm not saying don't, I'm not saying just let them crawl over you when you're touched out or you're having sensory things. But before you do make, set your boundary gently, connect first and tell them how wonderful it is that they're in your space and how, how much you enjoy them and yeah. how much you value them, how much you value the relationship and how their joy and their play is, is the light of your life. And then you can add an and <laughs> at that point, you know, and an yes, and, it's an and, yay. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, and that and can still have that joy and that connection infused in it. And then it's e so much easier for kids to hear. And my body right now is, you know, like on the surface of my body, like our skin, we have nerves, you know, and the nerves, when you touch them, you can feel it. Can you touch yours? You can feel it, right? And my nerves right now are having a little trouble and, and they need a little space. Um, and I wonder if we can... Yeah. And, and then and then this is, that's the no... That's a, that's a nice... What can I say? That's a connected and respectful way of a no because. Because no because can also be no, you can't do it because I'm touched out. That's because <laughs> I say because so. Because I say so, right? Um, yeah. Or even with a real, yeah. even with a real, even with a real um, explanation, that that the connection and the tone can still not be there. No, because I can't take the touch right now. It's really upsetting me. So that's a true reason right. um, and a valid one. Right. The other way right. of expressing it isn't just nicer, and that's what I'm saying. It's not just nicer. What it's doing is it's helping to create a relationship of listening, of tuning in and honoring consent by doing it that way. Because then they can think, oh, well, then I can tune in and slow down and communicate too around my needs. And that's how we really learn and educate. I don't know, educate, inspire and create a culture and create an environment. That's one of the, one of the ingredients, I would say. Oh boy, that's so beautiful, Vivek. I I really love that you said that. Uh, one of the things that popped into my head as you were saying that was kind of goes back to what I was saying before about creating the culture. So if we if we start talking about how our bodies feel and what our what like if I talk with my kid about what my body is feeling, what my body needs or doesn't need. Uh, it won't be too long before my kid will start to think about that. If, if I'm very conscious about asking my child if it's okay for a hug right now, rather than just scooping them up and hugging them. Or uh, something that we used to do was before we would start roughhousing, we would come up with a word or, or a way of communicating that said unequivocally, we have to stop right now. And we would do dress rehearsals. We would practice it, you know, so that everybody knew. And and my respecting that my kid said this thing and I stopped was very valuable and important to him. And it allowed him, uh, I don't know that he was always able to do it, but eventually he was. And... Uh, and that was really cool. And, and the way you described it, Vivek, uh, is so respectful, but giving a kid really good information about like what they, what they need to know. And it and when we give kids good information, it tells them that we trust them 
and we trust their love and their and their wisdom and they may not be up to it yet but we still trust them to be able to hear it in a kind and uh connected way Sujai, my dear did you have something to add to all of this um i did of course i always do i know <laughs> And I, I love the topic so incredibly much. Um, I think that there were some really good points made, um, <clears throat> particularly um, about how children um, eventually they, through learning their own consent, um, it empowers them. I think that that's, you know, that they, re that children really do appreciate so much when we ask them before we simply jump into their space and start changing their clothes or brushing their hair or giving them hugs and kisses. And we're very clear in what we're doing. Um, you know, I'm going to take your shirt off now and I'm going to put your shirt on now. And, um, Knowing when they say no, that we'll actually, that we will actually stop allows them to feel more safe. And through that safety, they tend to be a lot more cooperative in those situations than if they feel less safe. Um, if you just move into somebody's bubble without making yourself known, most times then, um, you know, the person whose bubble you moved into will push away whether they appreciate the, the proximity or not. If it came without the invitation, it can often be too startling to really know. Um, our children being extensions of ourselves, I think that's particularly true in the first year. Um, particularly even in the first months, they they talk about that being the fourth trimester where the child is um, best if we're able to, you know, have that close proximity of just having the child laying on the outside of the body for the next three months is such an amazing gift. Um, as they grow, their autonomy and separation from you grows as they meet meet milestones and they start to walk and they start to talk and they start to be more independent beings and their individuality starts to blossom from there. Then um, over the years, they become more autonomous from you. Um, I think parents can expect a lot of that first year's connection, particularly if they practice gentle parenting and early life attachment parenting where um, we hold the children as much as they seem to need throughout their entire lives, then um, certainly the first four years at least can oftentimes have a lot of touching and climbing on and being um, available to not be completely autonomous from your children for the first couple of years. Um, it's interesting because I had 
two older children who were very much go-getters. And as soon as they could walk, they were off and they were healthily attached and ready to go do their things without mom. And so I was hoping (laughs) that I'd get more of a snuggle bug with my little guy. And I did. And the flip side of having that snuggle bug is that sometimes he wants to snuggle and I don't. And and I remind myself how grateful I am that this, you know, last little baby that I have in my life is a snuggle bug. <laughs> so even when sometimes I'd, you know, rather be cleaning and he really needs attention or I've got something that I need to do that seems so pressing, I can kind of remind myself this is exactly what I wanted was somebody who wanted to get lots and lots of mommy hugs. <laughs> yeah. So why don't we um, talk a little bit about um, helping kids uh, with their consent issues and um necessary things that that have that you know medical issues um hygiene issues uh getting in the car seat issues all of these things where kids clearly have their own feelings about these things and they're not in alignment with what we know need to happen so uh how do you uh how do you help your kids when they when you know that brushing teeth is the thing that's got to happen and they say nah not my you teeth know, um i really struggle with this one margie um particularly yeah. I, I mean i guess it depends on the urgency of the thing when it comes to i would break it down into topics kind of a little bit more because So when it comes to the car seat, clearly the kids need to be in the car seat before we pull out of the driveway. So um, giving yourself more time before you leave the house can be one of your greatest tools to getting the child cooperatively into the car seat. If we don't feel a time pressure or as much of a time pressure, we're more likely to be um we're we're more likely to go with the child's process so the reason i would kind of break it down into more um general like getting more specific with the topics myself is because so one of your greatest tools for the car seat can often just be giving yourself a little bit more time to get out the door so that you can slow down and go with the child's process of inspection and everything. But if we're really leaning into the collaborative relationship, and I know we were talking about the collaboration a little bit earlier on this call, if we're leaning into the collaborative relationship that we have with our children, then we can ask questions about this specific situation. Why is my child struggling to get in the car seat? Now there could be, a lot of reasons some people um they have a process and they you know sometimes a little kid a little a small child sometimes a small child 
wants to open the car door themselves. They want to climb up to the seat themselves. They want to maybe do the chest clip themselves. Maybe they find the seat itself uncomfortable. Um, maybe they want to explore a little bit before they get into the car. There's really, truly a bazillion reasons why um, your child might be struggling to get into the car seat. Now, when we push past that, we're inevitably going to end up in a power struggle. And particularly with things that pertain to safety issues like car seats and medical procedures and things that we feel need to happen and they need to happen like right now. We begin to feel our own sense of desperation. Uh, a lot of times we can feel those feelings physically raising in our body. We might feel our faces burning or our chests constricting as we feel those external pressures pressing in on us. And that almost inevitably leads to this power struggle. So... If the child's in a situation where something we feel needs to happen that they're not really consenting to, and we start to feel those external pressures building up, the best thing that we can do as a parent is to recenter ourselves. We might feel like we're going to lose a couple of minutes here, and it might just totally throw us off course because we're going to be five minutes late or maybe we're imposing on somebody else like a doctor because the child needs to get this procedure done or um, whatever our reasons are that we feel that pressure that it needs to happen right now. Um, then anytime that we're pushing past a person's consent, they're going to struggle with us. They They're going to take dig in their feet, maybe literally, maybe preferably, but we're dealing with small children. They may quite literally be digging in their feet to not get into the car seat, to not um, sit down in the chair for the doctor or whatever it is in this situation. And if we can just slow down a little bit and recenter ourselves and lean into the collaborative part of the relationship and hear what the child is afraid of or what it is that they were wanting that's stopping them from getting to point A from point B. How can we help them and how can we really hear this, their voices in the situation? And the really amazing thing about this is that we don't lose any time at all. We think we're losing time by slowing down and taking a deep breath. But really, if we can remove the struggle, then it the the power block part because a power struggle is characterized by push and then push back and um, then push and then push back so how can you as a parent as a person as a human in a power struggle with another human end that power struggle clearly as an adult you have physical power over your child and you could step in at any time and claim that physical power. You could claim it through a deep voice. You could claim it through becoming aggressive. You could claim it in a lot of ways. However, 
that really, um, you know, clearly <laughs> would not be a gentle choice. And it steps all over the idea of consent. It steps all over the idea of human rights. It steps all over the idea of respecting our children as consenting human beings and their rights to things. So as gentle people making the conscious decision to live a gentle lifestyle, we make the active choice not to step in with our authority and our, um, our physical ability to remove their consent. And what that leaves us with is understanding exactly what it is that's underneath it and how we can help to change the situation through hearing exactly what the blocks are and what is keeping the child from wanting to get into the car seat, what fear keeps them from wanting to go to the doctor, um, how can we help them to feel comfortable in these situations with the car seat? Is it a simple slow down enough so the child can allow themselves to get into the car? Do they need a new car seat? Do we just need to not have so much intensity around getting out of the house? Because sometimes that can be a really intense moment and the children are feeding off of our energies. Um, with the doctor, it could be a little bit deeper because there's so many things that could be fear of the doctor. It could be the doctor themselves doesn't have a very particularly great bedside manner. or They don't feel comfortable with that doctor for one reason or another. It could be um, they're feeding again off of your energies and fears around what's happening. Um, and in discovering what it is behind it, then generally we can find solutions that feel comfortable for everybody and um, maintain that autonomous and consenting relationship that's based on mutual respect and understanding between our children in the same way that we would want to have autonomous and mutually consenting relationships with all the adults in our lives. And I want to highlight priorities in this particular case when we're talking about consent, because so often there's 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 what I call um, often in life there's what I call competing parenting priorities. So you may have a priority of getting to playgroup on time, and another priority of honoring your kid's consent. And all of a sudden your kid doesn't want to get into the car seat, and you want to get to playgroup on time, but you also want to their want to honor their consent, and you and you have competing parenting apparently competing parenting priorities. I mean, clearly they are because this playgroup starts at two and it's one forty-five. So you, you're not going to make playgroup, <laughs> and so in that in those moments, and those moments happen a lot, you know, in our lives, and in those moments, I I have found that when I operate from a from my principles, my priorities, and values which means really thinking about them and, and, and having them arise from what, what's really important to me as a human from deep inside, then I know I can rely on them. Then in that moment, I can say, well, what is my priority? What is my priority? My priority is modeling consent and having a, a true consent-based relationship with my child. 
So then I ha and then I have to rewire and reorganize my thinking in the moment and my feeling in the moment and my relating so that I can enter the collaborative relationship process that Sujai was was talking about. And so I really want to encourage uh, I really want to encourage everyone to to really think about how how deep that those pri those priorities are relational priorities are and recognize their place in the um, in your priority list <laughs> relative to like practical priorities, you know, because sometimes some, sometimes it feels so urgent to get to that place or to be on time for that thing or to not disappoint the other person. And a lot of those times I have found most of those times when you shift and you really focus on priorities of relationship and, and consent, and suddenly those other things become a lot less urgent. Um, and so I just want to suggest that that's a possibility right. because it can really free you up. Uh, and then what happens is, you know, like I always say that when we give our kids the freedom to say no, it uh, it inspires them to say it less often. <laughs> yeah, that is it's, it really very is. true. It really it's is. demonstrable um, yeah. that when we do interact with them yeah. this way, yeah. um, it's so much easier to to, um, to 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 have a more cooperative relationship. And it certainly grows and grows as, as time goes on. Absolutely. I, I do want to point out that we have a roadmap for uh, helping our kids understand consent in both directions. And we have something in our toolbox already that's that a lot of times we don't use. And that is mm -hmm. the principles of nonviolent communication. Um, and base, I'm going to speak very basically about it. Really what it is, is identifying needs, mutual needs, my needs, your needs, and communicating them in a way that the other person can hear. So a lot of times uh, what crosses another person's boundary is me telling them what they need. If I say, you need to get your shoes on so we can go, I have crossed a boundary with them. Instead, I can say, I need you to get your shoes on so we can go. And, and I don't actually recommend it's closer. That it's closer. But that's, that's closer. It's closer. So I what I need, I need this to happen because of whatever. Uh, so understanding needs and communicating needs and also me saying to a child, um, is it that you need XYZ? So helping them understand what they need is, is a crucial part of this. And um, one, you said something just now, Vivek, that I think is really important. And that is about not, you know, that we have mm. this innate thing that we don't want to disappoint other people. And it's, this is a key part of understanding the role that consent plays in um, in in our uh, communal lives with other people is that not disappointing someone is not a good reason to blow off consent. I, I'm I'm not even sure I I've said that the way I wanted to say it, uh, but uh, that kind of comes into play with praise and rewards and, and all those things that are uh, that create in, uh, extrinsic motivation rather than intrinsic motivation 
um, the idea that, well, if I say no, I'm going to disappoint them. So uh, I don't really want to, but I'm going to say yes anyway. That's one of the things that we can help our kids understand. And, uh, and if we live that truth, it makes it easier for our kids to live it too. For sure. I'd love, yeah. I, you, just, you just reminded me of a story, Margie. Cool. Um, <clears throat> last year, uh, I had a friend that wanted to come over and, 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 uh, and spend the night. Oh, you, and, you, you've told, have I told this. Have yes, I told this story? Yes, you have. Just a, just a couple of episodes ago. And it really? Was, yes, sir. You Wonderful. did. Yeah, right. it, it was well, the one where you were going to have a friend stay over and you asked Veets and Veets said, eh, let me think about it. Right. Is that the one? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful yeah. story. Yeah, and um, and the thank you. And uh, so, uh, what what do you know? What episode it was in? I will find it. Okay. <laughs> but, that, but so, my friend, I'll tell the I'll tell a short version. You can go do, back and do. listen to the other one. Yeah, yeah, because um, everybody may not have heard it yet. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so, my uh, I wanted uh, a friend of mine wanted to stay over, and so I asked my wife, and and my wife was okay with it, and then I went and asked my daughter. And when I asked her about it, um, because of our history, she's 22, because of our history, she knows that I, I, I really genuinely, sincerely want her truth and that what her truth is that I'll honor it because um, we've uh, grown up together. I always say we've grown up together. Yeah. <laughs> we've, grown up, we've grown up together uh, in a very conscious, consent, positive relationship. And so she knows that I, I honor her, her feelings. And so her experience was that I was really asking, she said, let me think about it. Um, now, her process of thinking about it was that she really didn't want to interact with anybody. And she really didn't want um, to come out, uh, to have anyone here because then she wouldn't feel like comfortable coming out of her room. She really didn't want to. And then she thought, well, let me measure how much I don't want to against how my dad, how much my dad is interested in this and then she thought about how often uh, you know my friends come over like once twice a year and so she went through her whole her whole uh decision making process but through the whole thing um you know it was it was and then she ended up saying you know what it's okay let 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 her come over and so when my friend came over we had a really wonderful time um my kid stayed in her room the whole time and later on she, she told me i didn't really want to interact with anybody but I, I wanted to also support your experience. And that's the thing, right? Her Part of her thinking was that she wanted to support my experience. Now, if, I, if she had said no, her lifetime of experience is that I would have celebrated it. I would have thanked her for it. I would have probably made her a smoothie in, 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 from gratitude that she said no. I, I'm grateful for her no equal to the yes. And, uh, and so she, there was no sense of pressure I should do this for him. And yet, uh, and yet, and yet, and people often think it'll produce that'll produce um, selfishness, and it and it doesn't. Um, I think consent, and that's why I think what your point of consent and collaboration being hand in hand is so important, because it really does inspire us to to tune into each other and, and really care about each other's experience. Exactly, and that is a, that story is exactly why I say it's like an illustration of why I say. Um, that having a trusted, respectful, collaborative relationship with a teenager and a young adult is possible and begins with the way you parent your toddler. 
So all of this stuff, and, and earlier, all of this stuff are, is foundational to a connected long-term relationship where we, we grow up together learning how to respect each other, how to um, ask for what we need, how to listen to what others need. This is, this is all part of it. It all goes into it. And so um, I, I demonstrated to my son how important his voice was in medical situations by insisting that medical professionals speak to my son, not about him, and get his consent for whatever procedures they were going to do. You know, I um, would definitely agree that um, the relationships that we have with our children begin um, even before birth and throughout life. However, I just want to lend an encouraging ear to anybody who's listening who hasn't been a gentle parent and has older children and is looking at switching over to this way of parenting. Um, certainly all is not lost and there is um, never a better time than now to change the relationships we have with our children and to begin healing with them. And um, no matter how old your children are, whether you are not a parent yet or um, your children are fully grown, um, it's never too late to reach out and change the relationship you have with your children for the positive. Depending on the age of your children and how um, how disconnected or how intense the relationship has become, you know, um, there will certainly be quite a bit of healing to do along the way for both you and your children and keeping that in mind as you go into this, that it's a healing journey where you're working to heal the relationship. Uh, is a very powerful tool to um, helping you through some of the harder times if you are just beginning your journey to being a gentle parent. Yes. One of my other sayings is that it's never too late to do it, but it may not be as easy. <laughs> so it may, it may be a little bit more challenging, but it certainly can be done. Thank you, Margie. Thank you, Sujai. It's been so wonderful talking to you today. I really admire you both, and I love doing this weekly podcast with you because I learned so much. And for all of you out there listening, if you want to find us, you can find us on Facebook at Gentle Parents Unite. You can also check out our Patreon, which is our personalized support, parent support area, and that is at patreon.com, and you just type in Gentle Parents Unite, and you can find us. And you can also find my writing and my videos, um, my personal social media as Meaningful Ideas, so Meaningful Ideas on Facebook, Meaningful Ideas on YouTube, and also MeaningfulIdeas.com. I have over 500 articles and close to 60 videos now, and all that information can really help you out a lot. Look forward to talking to you all next week. Take care and much love.